0: You're listening to Manufactured with Kim von der Wehrt, and this is a podcast about sustainability and the making of fashion. Join me every week in conversation with the people who manufacture what we wear. I know I say this basically every week, but this week's guest is really special. He's someone I respect deeply and someone I've been trying to get on the show for over a year. Like last week's episodes, this conversation is co-hosted by manufactured OG and co-founder Jesse Lee. Dr. Vidura Radapanawa is the Executive Vice President for Innovation and Sustainability at Epic Group. Epic Group is a manufacturer of woven tops and bottoms, denim, and most recently, knitwear. The company is headquartered in Hong Kong and produces across Bangladesh and Ethiopia. Vidura is based in Sri Lanka. This week's conversation is... I think the only way I can put it, a conversation about the conversation we're not having. We begin the episode with some basics. What was Vidura's entry point into the world of fashion? And what does he do now? He also shares a little bit more detail about Epic. We then move into science-based targets and why they make Vidura deeply uncomfortable and why he thinks they won't get the industry where we want to be in terms of reduced environmental impact. How could we do science-based targets in a way that's sensitive to context, to the particular, and how can we talk about environmental targets in a way that won't leave anyone behind? We close part one of this conversation by exploring the alternative models that give Vidura hope. In part two of our conversation, also out today, we shift to the firm level. Given the importance of context to environmental target setting, how does Vedura approach his work at Epic? How does he balance short-term goals with the need to have a broader, bigger picture conversation? What's their process for setting targets and how are they working towards those? This podcast is a passion project and a labor of love. Support the show by following me on Instagram at manufactured_podcast, podcast, or sign up for the bi-weekly newsletter at www.manufacturedpodcast.com for an overview of the latest episodes, articles I've recently published, and links to off-the-beaten-path reading. If you'd like to support the show financially, you can make a Patreon donation at www.manufacturedpodcast.com. Last but not least, don't forget to leave a review on iTunes and hit subscribe. This helps other people find the show, and I'd really love your help with that. Fedora, welcome to the show. We're so pleased to have you. Can you start off by giving us a bit of context? How did you end up in the fashion industry? My first
1: degree was in computer science. So I was actually trained as a computer engineer in um, and I worked in IBM that was my first full time job in New York. Um, but then at the same time, I was doing one of the first master 's programs for sustainability that was created in at the University of Bath. Um, so my first entry into apparel industry was way back in year two thousand where um, i I got a small consulting assignment um, uh, to to help improve social sustainability in a, in a factory which is which was in the rural outskirts of Sri Lanka, a factory called Slimline, um, <clears throat> which is a quite a, a, a fascinating plant because it was always a uh, always a hotbed of innovation of doing new things in the apparel industry um, run by a very charismatic CEO who uh, called Dan Gomez, who used to say, why should apparel industry be second to any other industry in the world and why should Sri Lankan company be second to any other company in the world so um, that gave us quite a lot of space to experiment and introduce new ideas that was before that time was not known in the apparel sector and and, you know just to give the context um, apparel industry especially apparel manufacturing was looked down upon even in Sri Lanka at that time um, so slimline actually changed this so in this company we started uh, what might be termed as a preliminary social sustainability framework um, that was way back in 2000 when even the con- ideas around sustainability and corporate social responsibility was very very new globally um, uh, after that time in 2001 i moved uh, to USA and there I started doing, uh, I started working with a colleague of mine who was a climate researcher at Columbia University um, in New York and that was my introduction to um, the climate science side of it where I worked with him for over a period of five years um, researching into a climate of Sri Lanka um so so, this was my introduction to climate. Um, I was always concerned about climate change, but um, what my experience in climate science actually showed me is that we don't need to learn more about science. of course, there's always more more to learn, but we knew enough, uh, but we lacked as a, uh, as a global community was action. so I wanted to be one of those people who um, initiated that action. So when I came back to Sri Lanka, of course my former boss Dan um, offered me a job. The company was much bigger uh, during the uh, six years or so. I was out of the country. Um, and um, and then I joined the company and within the first year itself, uh, Marx and Spencer wanted to build their first um, green manufacturing facility. And because of my knowledge on sustainability, I was put in charge of the project. So, so then I got this perfect opportunity to be, begin both um, sustainability work within the apparel industry at the at the same time. So it's it's almost like um, uh, a very serendipitous moment um, coming from the country, which you know from the, from where the word serendipity even comes from. So. Um, I think it's, it's just, um, such a moment. And, and what I've seen in is that working in this area, um, it's always about these moments that pass you by and, and whether we are courageous enough to grasp it, um, and, and make the change that we want to do.
0: Okay. Let's fast forward to the present you know, what your role is now, what kind of work you do, and also what Epic is and uh, what Epic is making, where Epic is making those things. Sure. So
1: um, I work for a company called Epic Group. Um, it's it's an old company. It's been around for a long time. Um, it's, uh, you know, a company that is headquartered out of um, Hong Kong. Uh, but its primary manufacturing base is in Bangladesh, and also now we are expanding in Ethiopia. Um, it's we uh, uh, about a six hundred million dollar company. Um, you know, we have six manufacturing hubs in Bangladesh and Ethiopia. We normally produce about one hundred twenty million pieces of apparel per, per year, with thirty thousand plus employees. Um, our primary products are woven tops and bottoms um we we do a lot of denims as well um we are a denim specialist also um and um, very recently we started moving into the knit space um and and we are developing our knit um, manufacturing capacity um also quite rapidly um couple of things about uh epic it's it's kind of a very um very dynamic company um we we are a company that looks at a space and asks do we want to do this and then just walk straight in um, um so it's it's a very um and that's why i mean it's it's dynamic we we actually look at opportunities and we move fast towards those opportunities um we've had a history of sustainability in you know dating way way before i joined the company um, Epic was the first company to build in green building design for factories in Bangladesh. Um, and there's quite a lot of innovation that happened in manufacturing. Also, uh, one of the earliest companies to start working with uh, um, recycled polyester also for some of the mainstream brands. So so we've had um, quite a lot of, um, you know, the company had quite a lot of fantastic history Um when I joined the company in 2019. So right now, I'm the Executive Vice President for Innovation and Sustainability. Um, the company is headed by Banjan um, Mahatani, who is the chairman, executive chairman of the company. Um, and what I'm doing now is taking that platform of sustainability and really ramping up the way we work um, um, in the sustainability space. Um, my focus is um, only the environmental side Um, so so it covers multiple aspects so um, you know one side we are fundamentally looking at what's our environmental impact in our own operations in Bangladesh and how do we reduce that impact as fast as possible Um, um, uh, this is one and how do we innovate in this space um, and by innovation, I mean both in operational as well as in um, uh, how do we create new models of leveraging finances, which we can talk about later. Um, the second area that I'm working on is actually about product innovation. How do we start thinking about sustainable product? Um, and 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 there is a, quite a range. Of interpretations on what a sustainable product is in the market and how do we work to scale, um, um, um scale adoption in, in sustainable fiber, um, looking at impact of manufacturing, end to end footprinting, um, as well as bringing niche market products into mainstream. So this is one area. Um, And the third area is really around supply chain and how do we really think about a sustainable supply chain and how do we improve that? Um, So these are the three main spaces that I um, work in at EPIC.
0: So we're going to get into more about how EPIC approaches these huge problems that uh, collectively as an industry and as a planet we're up against and how you... How you set environmental targets, how you then work towards environmental targets in part two of the conver- of our conversation, which is also out today, so be sure to check that out if you're interested in more of the details about how Epic breaks this down into a more manageable problem. But before we get into that, I want to talk more generally about targets, Vidura, and um, kind of what you make of them and what you see, I know in our last conversation you you sort of outlined some some critical views on how environmental targets get set in the fashion industry.
1: Um, you know, the Paris Agreement talks about aspirational target of one and a half degrees um, Celsius. And we need to reduce our absolute emissions by about 55% in the current decade. For a lot of companies, this may be a very, very daunting target. Okay. Now, part of the reason is that a lot of this depends on the national circumstances, the national infrastructure. How um, how much renewable energy driven is the electricity grid? What are the more sustainable uh, um, fuels available for manufacturing? And and these cannot be automatically supplemented. You know, there is there is a significant time lag between a national target set by a government to its implementation. So that's. You know, there, there are quite a lot of aspects that sits outside the company's capability for us to leverage uh, um, the, the the ambitious targets we want. So this is one side. On the second side is how, you know, if we actually believe that these targets are important, that we must move towards a, a, a net zero manufacturing economy, we need to start asking how do we change the system so that these targets become workable for a larger number of organizations because it's not enough few countries transition we as an industry has to transition and and what I'm seeing is that if depending on your geographical mix some countries will find this journey easier and some countries will find this journey difficult right um so so there are um Elements that we need to consider um, in terms of how we transition uh, um, to this journey in a in a collective way. Because at the end of the day, the, the tackling issues like climate change or water are collective responsibilities. It's not something these are global issues. Global issues require collective action. Um, it's not enough that Half of the countries that are manufacturing apparel transition to a low-carbon, low-water future, leaving behind the other half.
0: So something about how targets get set isn't sort of sensitive enough to context and to the effort that it will take people in different contexts to reach those targets. I want you to elaborate more on that and what you see as an alternative but before you do that could you just give a little bit more context about what science-based targets are and how these get set in the fashion industry
1: so science-based targets is a global organization uh, which provides a prescriptive emission reduction pathway to um, companies who sign up for the program Um, it's actually based on a um, climate scenario developed by IPCC. um, It's it's primarily based on RCP 2.6, but now the targets are tighter um, because the new targets really want to drive emission reduction to um, temperature rise of 1.5 degrees. Uh, But what this actually means is that every organization who signs up essentially commits to um, reducing their absolute greenhouse gas emissions by about 4% every year. Um I know in the apparel world, some manufacturers, few manufacturers have signed up uh, and a lot of brands have, have also signed up. Um, and uh, they set targets for their scope one and two, which is part of their operation, as well as uh, a scope three, which is their supply chain. Um, and these targets are then imposed on the supply chain um, and some brands have also requested their supply chain to sign up for the program as well. Um, the good thing about science-based targets is that it holds organizations who sign up into a, um, a really tight target. It's, um, you know, we, we have too many lax climate targets in the world. Now my concern about science-based targets is their approach because it's a approach that's based on universalization, uh, universalizing um, all organizations. Um, this is not how global energy transition work, uh, because some parts decarbonize faster, other parts decarbonize slow, uh, slower. Um, that's because the economics and technology for each um, different industries, different sectors is different. So, for example, in most parts of the world, um, uh, converting your electricity supply into renewable electricity is now cheaper. Um, but the thermal energy, for example, for heating, for steam, um, are still more widely uh, um, structured based on fossil fuels. So, so those transitions become more difficult and and there we, it requires much more time for technologies and alternative fuels such as green hydrogen to develop for that transition to happen um, uh, for sectors that are using steam. Um, so by using a, a, a universal model that every organization um, has to go through the same pathway, uh, does not do justice of emission reduction. Um, opportunity space for each um, country or, or a company is also different based on their geographical constraints, type of operation, and also business model. Now, I'm not going to talk about business model because if we really want to address climate change. We have to invent our business model. Uh, business models are mental constructs and you have to change them if you want to really address a global issue such as climate change. But let's talk about uh, uh, technology um, and 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 its constraints. Now, um, how I want to show a different model is is to look at basically UN climate agreements, which is based on a principle called equal but differentiated targets. What does that mean? It means that all countries must put equal effort but the actual targets and achievements would be different based on the particular circumstances that they are in. Um, And we can see it even in in places like EU. When you um, look at EU's decarbonization target, 55% reduction by 2030, not all the countries are going to reduce 55%. Some countries are going to reduce much um, higher targets. Some countries are going to reduce less. But as a collective, uh, they plan to reach that 55% because it's designed not by universalizing each country, not by generalizing each country and saying everybody has to do so at the same rate because some countries have much more opportunity to do a drastic reduction than the others. Um, And the way SBTI is used, science-based targets is used in the apparel industry is um, by constructing each apparel entity, whether it's a brand, it's a manufacturer, um, it's a mill, um, uh, looking at them as as a universal category, a manufacturer as a category, not as an individual organization. Um, So we need to change the conversation uh, around climate change Uh, from the universal science-based targets to um, something that is more structured around equal but differentiated targets. Um, We have data and technology and platforms such as HIG, FEM, um, and and we can understand if equal opportunities are being put. Um, And the second issue around science-based targets is how uh, the targets are policed. Also, um, I use the word liberally uh but by by also brands um um, and here again um the the if you don't start getting into the granular if you don't start getting into the opportunity space for each company um as opposed to universalizing all manufacturers into one category i don't think a good conversation between a brand and manufacturer can um, come out so that we actually hit our targets Um, the other part I want to discuss that often um, gets left behind in these conversations is how do we preserve equity in our transition? Now, why do I mean, what do I mean by that? Um, so let's go back to the EU model also. Um, now, in EU, as part of the Green Deal, um, which is their climate uh, platform, um, they've created a, a huge fund under the phrase just transition and what just transition really refers to is that uh, there are countries which are um, um, uh, quite a lot dependent on fossil fuels um, and within the transition they actually lose out and and, uh, and the idea behind just transition is that even though countries economy must fundamentally be reshaped away from fossil fuels uh, their population should not suffer, um, they are uh, being given massive amount of investment to transition out of fossil fuels, so you don't leave any country or any geography behind. Now, I want to ask, how do we construct such a just, just transition mechanism as apparel industry um, decarbonizes? Because some of the countries um, are, you know, uh, how do we do this transition of decarbonization? So that we don't lose social equity, because some of the countries who are predominantly apparel manufacturing um, will have huge social upheaval if organizations say the country cannot decarbonize decarbonize fast enough, and therefore we need to look at alternative uh, solutions. That's not practical as well. A few companies can move out from some geographies, but you know we cannot um, reshape the global supply chain. Uh, which we may have been able to do 10, 15 years ago. It, it, it it cannot happen anymore. Um, so the question, uh, that we really have to find is that how do we do a climate transition, um, that does not create Venus or Venus and losers, a, a zero-sum game. Um, but, um, we, we actually institute a just transition, um, for all organizations in the sector. Um, so, so the question is that what is the type of conversation that has to happen for this to work? Um, how can we bring um, sort of a national and particular context of each organization as we talk about a collective transformation? So, so this is the piece that I I really want to talk about, and and uh, unfortunately I don't see this conversation happening.
0: It's interesting because we have talked, like Jesse and I have done, had a lot of conversations on this show, which feel, which have been about ways of approaching social compliance, which feel sort of eerily similar to what you are describing now on the environmental side, in the sense that context matters. You know, these universal standards don't make sense in every context, Um, that, you know, what's possible in one place is maybe not possible in another place. It's, it's, for me, it really hits home to hear almost, you know, a lot of these same themes coming up in this conversation now, which is about an entirely different type of topic. But I want to switch gears here and ask you, why do you think that this conversation about you know, equal but differentiated targets or a way of talking about science-based targets in a way that's a little bit more sensitive to, to the particular, why do you think that's a conversation that isn't happening?
1: Um, yeah, I, I, think, um, I think there are a few things that's going on. Um, it's very, very difficult to have a, a, a good conversation about apparel industry sustainability, um, I have not seen a lot. Um, I've been in various apparel forums myself. Um, and, and I think it's partly depending on where in the value chain you sit, um, you have a somewhat siloed in view of what sustainability means, right? Um, and and I I notice this in in all conversations that I've had um, in, in in forums as well as in one to one conversations. So you know we have very um, large number of committed, well-meaning people who are really passionate about environment who are sitting in this organization. But sometimes we see this in a siloed vision, and and to me this is not 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 going to give us the, the kind of scalability of impact that we want so so this is this is an issue and the, the second part which goes back to um, um, uh, also the conversation you mentioned earlier we, we need to understand that there is a, 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 a axis of power that exists within the value chain Um, uh, we cannot pretend that it does not exist um, and it does not help us to have good conversations that should that must be done and it that's why that's one of the reasons it happens so rarely um, and i think uh, uh, um third one is that we want to avoid these very very difficult questions that don't have answers okay because we we all work for companies, okay? We can't all be philosophers and thinkers. We have, you know, this is what you're telling me, the dilemma I have. I have to think about this big picture solution, but I also have to make sure that my three-year target, which requires quite a lot of work, um, also gets delivered. Um, and I need to keep shifting between this view and that view. But But as organizations... We, when we start getting into senior roles, you are in senior roles not because you can think; you are in senior roles because you can find a solution and execute, even though it may not be the perfect solution, right? So, so we are in a little bit of a, a, a creation of our own, where we are saying, "Hey, you know what? Um, we, we have this big solution to solve, but can we fix this solution now?" So, this, this, this is something that pervades organizations. And I don't blame them because, um, you know, we really want to solve. OK, I'm, I'm, you know, I think a lot of the organizations that I work with, you know, my brand partners, companies that I meet in supply chain, there's very, very few people who in out, even outside the sustainability conversation, sustainability discourse that we are having as a brand or a manufacturer who are not concerned about the ecological issues that we are having. So we, But we haven't been able to make that connection. We haven't been able to broaden that conversation to say how do we really fix it because we are saying, okay, we, we have this solution. Let's, let's do what we can do right now. Um, and that's also very, very important because, you know, if you don't do what we need to do now, the, the whole idea behind climate action is do as much as you can do now because delaying this doesn't help. Um, however, that should not take away the focus of thinking about the bigger picture transition
0: i i want to go back to what you were saying about just transition because i think i'm curious whether there are any models for this sort of broader like you mentioned just just transition and the fact that you know not you know this transition is going to be easier in some contexts in some places than in others, and whether there are any models for this kind of transition, whether within the fashion industry or beyond that that give you hope
1: mm, no, I'm actually looking for the models, okay now I have hope because that's what i do i i know so so let me put this differently uh uh, uh Kim um I don't think there is any other way out. So if I'm, let's say, if I'm a brand who has, you know, globally diverse supply chain, it's practically not possible for me to say, you know, these countries I can't work with because they are not able to transition. I'm only going to work with these batteries. Okay. One brand can do it. Maybe two brands can't do it. But global industry cannot do it. So so I think the question is that what, what we will find very soon is that we we do not have the models that's going to successfully scale the kind of impact that we want to have across multiple geographies. Okay. So what I want to do is I want to begin the conversation now so that we start looking for it, not start looking for a different model when the current capacity to drive emission reduction runs out. This conversation has to happen now. Okay. Now, I... Where do I find inspiration? Where do I find models? Um, I mean, I draw inspiration across everywhere. I mean, for example, our company, Epic, is very, very, um, interesting because, you know, starting from our chairman, we are all, I I mentioned earlier, we are always in the lookout for opportunities, right? So when we are talking to our customers, we speak about, um, different adjacent and not so adjacent spaces that we are interested in uh, um in operating and different business models that we are you know it's it's always a conversation about opportunity okay and to me driving climate action or driving sustainability is always changing this conversation to a broader context so that we start looking at opportunities we start finding opportunities um, and to me that's the most 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 important part of it
0: Bedoura, before we get into the second part of this conversation, which is focused a lot more on Epic Group and how sort of within this broader picture context that you've painted, Epic Group approaches targets, tries to work towards targets. Is there anything else you want to say or add to sort of set the scene? Um, or to close this part of this sort of zoomed out conversation about environmental targets in the fashion industry?
1: Um, So I think um, I I always talk about sustainability as a collective responsibility. Um, and, And I think... The barrier to a sustainability in our industry as well as in the broader context um, is is at least in part um, you know sort of historical and in terms of historical um, you know you, you can speak about infrastructure as as one of the historical remnants that kind of keep us locked into a particular way of working um, but you can also say about Systems, processes and conversations also as similar hard artifacts that keep recreating these unsustainable models of being and working. So, so the, the, the piece that I want to, um, say at the end is that the only way to break this is to have a different types of conversations. Conversations that recognize the infrastructure, the systems, the historical practices, the power relations, the ways of talking, ways we think about profit, ways we think about prosperity. These are all loaded things that has brought us to this unsustainable way of living an unsustainable way of working. And if we want to change that, all of those things have to change and that should start with having different type of conversations uh, different settings where we unearth them um, and hold them up for everybody to see, and start asking questions: How do we collectively change the way conversations are done, and thereby, how do we collectively change how we run our businesses and how we live in this planet?
0: Thank you for listening to Manufactured. Support the show by following me on Instagram at manufactured underscore podcast. Or sign up for the bi-weekly newsletter at www.manufacturedpodcast.com for an overview of the latest episodes, articles I've recently published, and links to off-the-beaten-path reading. If you'd like to support the show financially, you can make a Patreon donation at www.manufacturedpodcast.com. Last but not least, don't forget to leave a review on iTunes and hit subscribe. This helps other people find the show, and I'd really love your help with that.